Thank you for joining us for this episode of the podcast. Ah, I almost made it. Brought to you by iLand, this is the Cloud Bytes podcast, where we've brought together a panel of opinionated cloud customers, providers, and analysts to discuss topics related to how clouds are built, marketed, and consumed. Everyone has different needs in the cloud, so we'll debate the topic at hand and at the very least, agree to disagree. Our goal is to provide good sound bites about how to manage your bites in the cloud. And sometimes the best conclusion may simply be that the cloud bites. This episode is all about connectivity to and within the cloud. My name is Brian Knudsen. I'm a cloud technologist for iLand, and I will be acting as our moderator for today's discussion. This episode's panel includes a wide variety of perspectives on networking and the cloud. Let's start by having each of our panelists quickly introducing themselves with their current role and a soundbite of their initial thoughts about what is important about the connectivity of cloud infrastructure. Thanks, Brian. My name is Eric Lee. I live in Kansas City. I've been working in IT for almost 26 years now starting it as a help desk administrator, and now I'm all the way up to a cloud engineer architect. Currently work for a very large healthcare IT company based in Kansas City. Cloud connectivity is very important to us. We have many SaaS-based applications that we consume, plus we deliver over 80 applications to our clients, some of them based out of public clouds, some of them based out of our own clouds on-premises, having the connectivity between all of those is very, very important for us to continue to function and provide hospitals the care that they need to be able to provide to their clients. Hi, my name is Tom Hollingsworth, and I am a reformed network engineer, CCIE number 29213. In a former life, I was a senior network engineer for a value-added reseller here in Oklahoma City, Oklahoma. But today I work for an analyst firm, Gestalt IT, and I'm an event lead for Tech Field Day, specializing in networking and security. From a networking perspective, the cloud is kind of exciting to me because it turns the model that we've spent so many of our months and years learning on its head. We're not as concerned about east and west traffic inside of our data center anymore. Everything seems to be flowing out to the cloud, which means all of those 10 and 40 and 100 gig switches that we were installing because we thought we were going to have to deal with Hadoop clusters for the rest of our lives. Well, those are kind of sitting around now. We're having to deal with things like SD-WAN and CASBs and a bunch of other things that I, quite frankly, didn't study for. (laughs) So I'm very interested to find out how this is going to work from a traditional networking perspective. Hey, I'm Lauren Malhoy. Um, I hate to say it, I'm in marketing now at Juniper, um, but I did spend over 15 years as a real life technology person. And of course, I'm still in uh, a technical marketing role. You know, I think cloud is really important. I like to look at things from the customer perspective and connectivity obviously is the most important part of how we're going to accomplish any sort of multi-cloud or um, public cloud deployments. And, you know, there are a lot of drivers that get us there, just the cloud features themselves, you know, what what applications best align with which public clouds, customers being able to do things like supplier management. So telling me, my vendor or your vendor, hey, you know what, I can get a better deal over here. That's a really important reason to go to cloud, to have connectivity to multiple clouds. Doing things like data privacy, I don't need to go into GDPR with you all. I'm sure you're sick of hearing about it. Things like proximity, getting the best performance out of your applications because you actually have applications deployed in that region. And things like just the private to public cloud transition, connectivity is 
germane to all of that. Those are kind of my thoughts on why this is such an important topic. Fantastic. Thank you all for joining me. So to kind of kick things off, you know, most businesses now are utilizing more than one cloud platform and the connectivity to and between all those applications that are running in the cloud become far more critical than the simple internet connectivity used to be. And with some clouds offering multiple use cases and various levels of networking control, the connectivity within a single cloud platform even can become very complex. So Tom, as customers are increasingly using multiple clouds, what challenges and solutions exist with connecting these disparate clouds together to form a single technology infrastructure? It's funny because when we shifted the networking model from being all about data centers to this thing out in the middle of nowhere in, you know, Reston, Virginia called the cloud, we were trying to figure out, well, how can I increase the speeds between the two things? How can I make sure that my data doesn't get lost along the way? And we were already on a parallel track to develop a technology to connect branches and headquarters that just so happened to turn out to be the perfect answer to this. And that would be SD-WAN, Software Defined Wide Area Networking. It turns out that SD-WAN doesn't care what a branch really is. A branch can be an office in the middle of Laredo, Texas, running on a 4G modem, or it can be an Amazon data center. And by creating off-ramps or on-ramps, depending on how you look at them, for technology, SD-WAN solves a lot of our problems because it can provide secure access through VPNs and it can provide service assurance through um, QoS, but it's QoS that you control. And so what you get is the ability to deploy virtual SD-WAN appliances in a cloud provider, and then you can connect to that SD-WAN appliance and get your data in the cloud. And it's wonderful. It's magical. It's almost like it was built for that. <laughs> So yeah, I I mean, hybrid cloud is no different than multi-cloud, is no different than a multiple branch office solution if you build the network right. And I think that that's part of the problem is everyone here knows how to use VMware and everyone here probably has a story about the dumbest thing that I've ever seen in networking, a little topic I like to call layer two data center interconnect. There are still parts of the world that if you chant OTV, you summon a very small demon <laughs> that will then zip all around the world and, and cause all kinds of massive problems. OTV was a stopgap solution for dumb application developers. I like the way we build it now where we build secure, stable connectivity using not layer two between the data center and the cloud because it means the application developers don't have a crutch to develop on anymore. And what you end up getting is applications that behave properly when things like, oh, I don't know, you roam to a different cell tower or you need to get a different set of IP addresses because your machine moved from New York to Los Angeles and now you're not hairpinning traffic or tromboning it through a whole bunch of different edge devices in order to get things where they need to be. I'm excited for this. I think this is great. So Tom, I want to go back to what you said about multiple clouds is the same as hybrid cloud is the same as multi-cloud. I disagree with you a little bit there. Just I think multi-cloud is truly using kind of one platform or, or one set of software, or at least one set of operations to kind of manage the whole thing. Would you disagree with that? I mean, because if we're talking about bringing in, you know, SD-WAN solutions to manage these connections, obviously we're not using these SD-WAN solutions to manage our data centers or to manage our campus networks necessarily. So what are your thoughts there? Well, there's no reason why you couldn't. 
use SD-WAN for this purpose? I mean, how many times have we had to build ridiculous amounts of firewalls between things? Because regulations say that nobody on the campus should be able to talk to the data center. Or PCI says that we can't have anybody on the guest wireless network able to access anything internally. The old days, we just put up a firewall, right? Well, today, what we can do is we can put an SD-WAN box in place that has firewalling capabilities. And if we use the same provider or we use the same technology all over the place, there's no reason why we can't start treating things like branch offices. I mean, remember how big of a shift it was whenever we started treating our internal clients as customers? Remember multi-tenancy, how that was going to solve everything or the ability for people in development to request resources almost like they were you know, provisioning a server? I, I can remember sitting through presentations about that right before I left the bar life and everyone was telling me this is going to change everything and the, treating your internal users like their customers really opens up things for IT. Now, thank God we never got to the Facebook model of treating everyone like they're a customer and selling all their information. <laughs> but I think that when you flip the paradigm on its head and you treat everyone internally like a separate network or a separate location, it actually makes things a whole lot easier because you start from a basis of these two shouldn't have to talk at all. Let's build the bridge that makes them talk, whether it's from a hybrid cloud internally to another user or from an external public cloud back into your network. And it means that you don't have extraneous connections that are insecure and expensive. And it actually allows you to map everything out so that you know, okay, well, I know that this data will never go to that location because I have a policy in place that says those two can't talk unless they use this one metered connection or this one analyzed connection. So would you say, I mean, I don't know that that technology exists today, and I'm not saying that you're wrong. I'm just saying it doesn't maybe exist today. Are you saying use APIs, use some sort of orchestration to kind of make that all happen so that we have consistency throughout? Or you're just saying, this would be cool. Let's take SD-WAN a step further. So SD-WAN is starting to go that route. If you do some research on the topic online, you'll see that a lot of people who are talking about multi-cloud connectivity are folks that are very focused on providing connectivity from an SD-WAN perspective. There are some other companies that are, are looking at it from a different aspect, but I think that where you're really getting involved is that the people who are network providers, they've solved this problem already. So they're just taking one of their existing technologies off the shelf, putting a different coat of paint on it and putting it back up there saying, hey, we can do this thing too. I don't necessarily know that being able to have APIs and things like that is a bad thing. I mean, let's be fair. APIs are good no matter what you do. And like you said, even if this doesn't exist in a very specific form today, thanks to the power of things like Python and APIs, we can make it exist in about, uh, I don't know what, a week if we have like enough Mountain Dew and pizza to feed the dev team. Yeah, I mean, I think that's a little bit uh, flippant, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> Tom flippant? No way. <laughs> You're talking about SPs and the talent, Google and things like that. But if we're just talking about globally, you know, enterprise IT teams, I don't know that that's the turkey solution they're looking for. Depending on the industry you're in, depending on what your goals are, what you're trying to achieve, what applications are kind of talking to each other and stuff like that. It's a nightmare to even try to whiteboard some of this with some of our groups, let alone get to the point where we can actually put keys down to try to do some of it. There's many challenges with the security team, with the application teams actually knowing what ports and stuff they need open and where they need to go. So there's a bunch of people and processes that really slow down achieving this more than the technology itself. 
I'll be honest with you. This is one of the joys of being able to be an analyst is that I can put my hat on and say, well, they told me this is going to work. And I guess it works if they tell me that. Now, the nice thing is, is that when you go out and you talk to real people, they're like, well, here are where the challenges are. And I think that that's where these companies need to hear that is it's not cut and dried and simple to put together. It's a whole lot more fragile than we might think. But here are the points of fragility. And if we can fix these problems, then we fix everything altogether. I mean, let's be fair. One of the reasons that we had a huge problem with layer two data center interconnect back in the day had absolutely nothing to do with the networking gear. It was the fragility of the applications that were relying on it. But we couldn't fix the fragility in the applications because quite honestly, we didn't have a better solution at the time. Yeah. And that's always a challenge with new technology is the people on the front end are getting what they need out of it, hopefully, because that's driving the development aspect of it. But oftentimes those are very niche use cases in large companies that may not necessarily fit everybody's use cases. And I think you see that very apparent, what Eric said, where you've got these large companies that have strong development focuses where they can put enough pizza and Mountain Dew together to build cool things. You get to these smaller businesses and they need more turnkey solutions that need to come out of the box working. Otherwise, they're never going to get to them. I saw a lot of that in my days as of ours as well. So, Eric, as you've seen cloud used within your organization and you know, how connectivity is utilized and looked at as part of disaster recovery and business continuity events can be very different and oftentimes not always considered properly when developing the connectivity to the cloud. So what was your experience recently? And as we record this, we're kind of on the what looks to be the front end of the COVID-19 epidemic. With that experience that you've seen, keeping that workforce connected and being able to, you know, essentially having to have people go work from home, but still have them be able to actually work. How is the cloud pieces within your organization? Have they been helpful? Has it been harder? Have they, were they really prepared to be able to connect all these people to the cloud as part of this business continuity plan? Yeah, that's a very good question. Let me preface this with stating that we generally have a no work from home as a kind of standard policy, I'm able to work from home if I need to, but I'm expected to be in the office if if I can't. We have very few people that work from home on a day-to-day basis unless their job is out at a client site all the time or something like that. So when the COVID-19 stuff came about and we decided as a company to work from home, we had to kind of run around pretty quickly to make sure we could get 20,000 people connected via VPN or other means necessary, both on-premises and to services that we have in the cloud. Luckily, I think migrating to some of the SaaS-based solutions that we've had over the years really alleviated the connectivity that we needed to on-premises and allowed us to rely on individual internet connectivity to those sites and services. So that, I think, nowadays compared to maybe 10 years ago or what have you, was a great benefit. For us, though, we have Direct Connect stood up and has been running for quite a few years. We've had some other VPN solutions in-house that worked quite well for the minimum number of people that we had remote connected in. We did have to stand up a whole new VPN site with a whole new VPN client and push that out in about a week in order to get the majority of our people to be able to function and access internally hosted applications. There's some applications that quite a few people use SaaS-based, but we have them deployed on-premises as well for those things. 
you know, software repos and stuff like that, that people need to be able to code into and stuff all day. Previously, we were looking at alternating days. Everybody pick a buddy and take turns on days connecting on the VPN to do your work. Wow. But we were able to uh, stand up another service very, very quickly. Our teams for the client site are really, really good. Direct Connects worked very, very well for most of our people. Our software delivery system is very, very well. So we were able to auto push out the VPN client pre-configured to everybody's devices in about two days, did some testing groups with it, and it worked very, very well. In order to connect to some of our applications for those who do operational-based management and monitoring stuff, it was very, very easy. We've got a lot of that stuff tied into our on-premises monitoring tools, logging back through that. So for a lot of stuff, it was quite simply passing through Direct Connect or connecting through one of our multiple VPN connections back into on-premises to be able to handle that load. But being able to use multiple carriers coming in through multiple ingestion places and stuff like that was very important for us to be successful. Yeah, that's really interesting. So Eric, in the context of the applications, not necessarily the SaaS applications, but maybe some more more of the uh, on-premises workloads or, or workloads you're hosting in the cloud, what was kind of the hardest thing, not necessarily deal with in the execution phase, but in the planning phase? I mean, I hear a lot about data and just how expensive it is to you know, have multiple clouds and on-premises and all of that and have the data, you know, writing lines and sitting in various places and all of that. I don't know if you came into any of that planning, but I guess just in general, in context of applications, what do you think was the hardest part about the plan? Yeah, I think it's a little bit of all of that combined, actually. We have a pretty good and a pretty large security group on-premises, but dealing with security on-premises is a little bit different than dealing with security once you get into a public cloud, right? Where are your logs going to be? Where are they going to be stored? How do I keep those for a long amount of time? How do I reduce the costs in doing that? If I leave them in the public cloud, there's a certain cost for that, and they may only be available at a certain speed for a certain amount of time. If I bring them all on-premises, once I get to a certain scale, that becomes very, very cost-prohibitive for both network and then storing them on-premises. There's all of those factors that go into what we do, what risk we are willing to accept, what operational challenges we're willing to accept or code around or do something differently based on a combination of all of those factors. When you're hosting applications for numerous different clients over a very long amount of time, you know, our application's over 30 years old and it really hasn't changed a whole awful lot until recently. For our core application, not all of our bolt-on and additional stuff, it becomes a challenge because you have a bunch of shared resources that connect into multiple of them. And when you start connecting that into instances running in the public cloud, you start running into VPC limitations. You start talking about ingress and egress charges. It really changes the architecture of everything. And once you move one component of that architecture, it's like tipping over a domino. And sometimes you don't know how many else are going to fall until you start talking to all the other teams, right? And then that domino may affect somebody else. So that planning can be very, very intensive. It can change the outlook on 
the future work for a bunch of different teams by making some simple changes, especially on the network side. So the hardest thing is talking to other people. I mean, honestly, (laughs) (laughs) it really is. And I'll admit, I mean, we're probably all used to you work on something, you create something that's your baby. You only want to change it when you have to for something that you like. And if there's somebody from the other side, whether it's, you know, security or another application that's working with it or what have you, wants you to make a change for something that you don't deem worthy for your time, but it may be worthy for the product overall, we still have a hard time making those changes and prioritizing it. So yeah, definitely working with the different groups, having a unified objective, right? We may have a very high level unified objective. Hey, we want to go deploy in this cloud, in this region with the limited services are there. But once you break it down into its subcomponents down to a certain amount of levels, sometimes that message gets lost and you're too focused on what you're working on to see the forest as a whole through the 50 trees you're working on. So it can be very challenging. I also find that institutional memory for things like disasters tends to be very short lived. I live in Tornado Alley. And I mean, literally, it used to be if you said Oklahoma to somebody, the two things that got brought up more than anything else were the Trail of Tears and tornadoes. And so I'm constantly answering questions about that for people. And we get on average a really nasty one about every five years. And yet when you tell people, hey, you need to have some kind of an offsite system for recovery. They tend to kind of gloss it over. It's like, oh, that won't happen here. I can remember stories of some of the technology vendors driving into the middle of what looked like a war zone after a large destructive tornado wiped out the administration building for more public schools, having to recover hard drives out of a server in order to boot it up so the teachers could get paid so that they could use the money to go, you know, basically put their lives back together. And now, some seven years later, I can look at it and go, well, you know, if you guys are storing all that data in the cloud, it's a whole lot easier. Oh, but the cloud's so expensive. And that won't happen to us again. And I'm literally sitting here going, you've called down (laughs) the literal thunder on top of your organization because you only think about things when they're good. You don't remember having your car wallpapered with house insulation because a mile-wide windstorm obliterated everything that you worked on. Tom, one of the tornado instances that you and Erica both remember was when the tornado went through Joplin, Missouri a few years back. And I was working with a customer at the time on building a new data center. And then that happened. And they're like, let's talk about DR a little bit. And so their plan was to, you know, they had a bunch of stuff that went to different branch offices that they had. And they were, you know, we can get our data back from those places. I'm like, is everything going to be able to talk to each other at that point? Well, they were hub and spoke at that point. So it wasn't quite that easy to be able to do that. And so they ended up being kind of an early adopter of DR to the cloud in order to say, we'll have it up in a place where everyone else can get to it. As long as they have an internet connection, they have the capability of getting to it. And so it's, you know, those those types of disasters, sometimes just a simple thought of what if is enough to get an organization to think through it. But the complexities that, that are involved in all those interconnected parts definitely require some, some time and thinking around it. Yeah, and we've really changed our thoughts on how we do some of that, right? We have two very large sites in Kansas City with multiple sub data centers in it, and they're many, many miles apart. But as we move more applications to the public cloud, we really look at where is the 
secondary site going to be? Is it going to be on-premises in our data centers that we own? Is it going to be one on-premises in our data center, one in the public cloud? Right, And some of that really depends on where our client is located, what kind of connectivity we can get from them to that site. We own our own POPs throughout the U.S. that we can kind of connect them through. And then from there, hop via direct connect into some of the public clouds. So we have a lot of flexibility in that area, but we really look at it on a client-by-client basis on where we're going to put stuff and where the DR for them is going to be located based off of database size, database change rate, client connectivity, all of those things. I think that's so important. I mean, we're, we're talking about tornadoes because obviously our minds are on pandemics and, and horrible things, but, but there are just little things too. You know, we had one rack in a colo back in the day and they had screwed up their A and B electrical, right? So as long as you're plugged into one or the other, you have power. But unfortunately, they were both A for us somehow. And and sure enough, you know, you got to replace the UPS or something and you think you're good to go. And all of a sudden, all your applications go down. So there, there are a lot of, yeah, just random 3 p.m. on a Tuesday where things just go down. Yeah. And that can add a lot of complexity when part of the data center goes down. And then what's your DR plan for part of a data center failure? Do you fail over the whole thing? You fail over part of it, and then you got to deal with the connectivity between the components that may be in two separate places but are used to living next to each other, which actually is an interesting segue. Lauren, on-premises data centers, a lot are starting to adopt micro-segmentation within the data center in order to divide up the network. And sometimes it fits into more of a security thing. Sometimes it's to make sections of it more independent, maybe for the availability of partial failovers. But is this a common feature that people have in the cloud today? Yeah, you know, I've thought about this from a few different points of view. First, let's talk about what microsegmentation is. I mean, you you basically just said it, but we're, we're isolating, you know, one box or one VM or, or one service at a time, something like that. Usually because of, you know, someone getting inside of your network, at least they can't get to your various services. That is an interesting use case as well that you brought up about DR. And this isn't really a new concept either. Being able to do this sort of segmentation, but traditionally it's been done by IP address. So not many people are doing it. It's really cumbersome. If you weren't using some sort of SDN or controller, it's almost impossible to really implement efficiently or, or effectively. Modern day, obviously, more people are starting to use SDN controllers. They're actually able to do this kind of intent-based microsegmentation. Excuse the terminology, but that's kind of what it is. But we're able to use qualities of identity other than IP address to enable this. So obviously, in public cloud situation or a situation where workloads are moving, IP addresses might change. So being able to do things through another point of identity is really important to do this well. And honestly, you know, if we're looking at SDN implementations in the market, you know, we're only at 25 to 35% right now. And that's just with basic SDN, people not even using it to its full capacity, it's the full benefits, because it's just a really big learning curve. So, you know, if we bring in then cloud and, and multi-cloud, I think it's more likely that mid to large companies have this sort of multi-cloud solution right now with both on-premises and cloud solutions. And what that means is, that they're using SDN to manage things like microsegmentation in the cloud rather than a service offered directly by the cloud provider. 
because that's, that just makes operations easier. You know, Tom and I were kind of talking earlier, differences between multi-cloud and multiple clouds. If you're using one service, one piece of software to manage micro-segmentation on-premises and a different service in the cloud, that, that just obviously means two different teams or two different skill sets, et cetera, et cetera. So I think likely it will be, you know, that people use an SDN solution or some sort of controller to manage all of that. But I think we're still in that time where app folks are, are actually pushing cloud and networking and security folks are, are thinking about how to manage on-premises. And I know that's absolutely not true for everyone. I know a lot of folks are big on networking in AWS and Azure and all of that. But if we're talking about globally, if we're talking about actual implementations, I think it's absolutely true. So I guess, you know, kind of my, my TLDR, micro-segmentation is, is a really cool feature to talk about. It's sexy. I don't think it's caught fire yet, even on-premises. People are still getting over that learning curve. Um, Micro-segmentation honestly requires just really deep knowledge of application dependencies. It's going to take months and months. And and yes, there's software out there that can help us now. Still, you're going to need that human touch. You might need, you know, to bring in consultants to do this. No one knows what their applications look like. So maybe if we're talking about redeployment of a new app to the public cloud, yeah, sure, it'd be a great time to implement it. But I think there's just a lot more that goes into it. And I don't see micro-segmentation being used everywhere for everything anytime soon. I think it's funny that one of the reasons why we think of cloud as being a big consumer of micro-segmentation is because you have to explicitly define connectivity in the cloud. Like these two systems will not talk to each other unless you do it a specific way. People who are used to doing on-campus networking are very versed in the fact that Ethernet is the chattiest protocol on the planet. And so this idea that, oh, I have to specify these things is nice in theory, especially for security people. But it ultimately starts falling down when you realize, kind of like you said, Lauren, that tracking what an application needs to actually work is much more difficult when it's not a permit IP any any at the end of the policy statement. And so you have to do the homework. You have to figure things out. And a lot of people aren't used to that. And I think that's one of the reasons why you're seeing adoption of technologies like Cisco's ACI or VMware's NSX in the cloud, because you're like, well, why would I need campus networking solutions or campus data center networking solutions in the cloud? Well, it turns out they're giving you a lot more than just the typical cloud-like connectivity. They're also doing things like application dependency mapping and helping you rewrite policy so that it works better and can take care of exceptions when someone deploys a new application. So I think that what we're seeing not necessarily is just micro-segmentation, but this idea of policy-driven networking in general. That's a good way to put it. Yeah, I, th- I think that's an excellent way of putting it, Tom. I mean, when you think about just the services that people use, services may not be in the cloud, right? A lot of those will still be on-premises. So you have to figure out, yeah, the connectivity back and forth from headquarters to your public cloud region or availability zone or whatever. And it's still going to include legacy applications as well that don't have that kind of built in, like you were saying, Tom, you know, we've already put permit IP in any <laughs> a lot of our legacy applications. So if micro segmentation, if it's worth it, if the service that you are trying to isolate is so worth it, well, then probably all the services it connects to are also worth it. So, you know, if we're thinking about how to deploy micro-segmentation, to me, it should be probably an all-or-nothing situation, or at least all-or-nothing in one domain. Cool. Yeah, I'll tell you, from a 30-year-old application with multiple hooks into everything, it's extremely hard to figure out what actually needs to be open. You have to monitor it for a long amount of time. That just tells you what's talking. Then you have to validate if that's actually what is supposed to be talking. 
just because it is talking doesn't mean it should be talking. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of times where you find things you didn't know were put on there that aren't supposed to be there. And the only way you find them is by looking at that traffic and seeing that going on. So it is extremely hard. And the best time to do it is when you're working on a new application. We have some of our new build applications that are native cloud that those policies were in place from the get-go. Nothing gets approved without its own security policy that allows what it needs to talk out on and what needs to talk to it on. And it can't be deployed without that. And it gets reviewed with security people that are involved before every commit. And that's the way it goes. And it works very, very well. And then we have the other groups that need any, any or else the application will just fall over. Great conversation. Things I learned, you know, SD-WAN was under development long before cloud was a thing. But, you know, kind of grew with the cloud in a lot of ways because it kind of became a perfect solution to help connect things together, especially when you consider the flexibility and the programmability that it introduces in addition to what cloud introduces as well, which was one of the fundamental things that made cloud so attractive early on. But, you know, a lot of customers need to consider how capable they really are at taking advantage of those items. You know, when we look at the connectivity between users and their data, Direct connections are great. VPNs are great. We use them a lot and use them appropriately in a lot of cases. But when it comes to business continuity planning, it's important to take those into account and understand what's going to need to change, whether it's the growth of a bunch of VPNs or you know the activation of a new direct connect potentially and what the flow of data is going to look like there. And it's important to really understand where people are going to be at, where the data is going to be at after a disaster or business continuity plan gets enacted and make sure they're going in places that are going to, you know, sometimes you want them to be local to the customers and not move too far away. Or you need to make sure that you're moving into a data center or moving into a location that has the connectivity you need to maintain those connections. And as you move different parts of the architecture, you need to be aware of what effects that's going to have especially as things move around, there's unexpected consequences. And so it's really critical to work across teams to do that investigation to find out what the different applications, the different parts of the infrastructure are communicating between. It's also key if you want to get into implementing micro-segmentation, whether it's on-premises or in the cloud, because a lot of the concepts of micro-segmentation is about explicitly defining what can connect. And if you don't know the different pieces and how they're connecting to each other, it's going to be a lot of break everything and keep opening things until you figure out what's going to work. And that's a painful way to go about it. And while cloud does introduce a lot of the policy-based management and the programmability that you can get with micro-segmentation, it's not necessarily the type of micro-segmentation you would expect on-premises. To It's still going to be a lot of manual effort to build that out. But we are still fairly early in the rollout of that. And it's important to think about that as new applications are developed to be explicit about defining what it needs rather than assuming that everything is going to be open. And honestly, I think one of the most interesting things that I found out today through this conversation was that apparently the cloud is in rest in Virginia. So I was was super excited to hear that part. But with that, let's finish off this episode of the Cloud Bytes podcast. Thank you, Tom, Eric, and Lauren for a great conversation. Also, thanks to Island for making this podcast possible. Please check out the episode notes, panelist contact information, further information about this topic, and all the other episodes at cloudbytes.cloud. You can also find our episodes on your favorite podcast apps. If you found this content useful, 
We'd appreciate you sharing with your friends and colleagues and rating us on those podcast platforms. Thank you for joining us for this episode of the Cloud Bytes podcast. Like I, I keep expecting to look outside and see people having a video conference via skywriting or something. <laughs> hey, that's a good good marketing idea, Tom.